Good morning, everyone. Well, as you're ma- making your way to your seats, um, I want to, if I could, before we get into the message, I'm going to share something with you that I just came across this week. I think that it's very fitting for us to hear this, especially right before we dive into God's Word. But it's a study that was conducted by the Center for Bible Engagement. Did you even know that existed? I didn't even know that existed. But they had polled 400,000 people from the general population. It was from the ages of 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how people were engaging with Scripture. And what they discovered was something absolutely fascinating. What they discovered was that when people read their Bible just once a week, and by the way, just once a week could be like, you know, when I say, open up your Bibles with me, right? That, that, that would even count. But whenever people would just read their Bibles just once a week, they said that it had just negligible effect on the key areas of their life. Now, if you're like me and you had to look up the word negligible, um, that means almost no effect at all. All right, that's what I thought that it meant. And so when I read that, I thought, surely my understanding of negligible is wrong. You know, that must mean that it's some amount, but no, it meant there's almost no effect at all. Then they found that when they read their Bible two times a week, still negligible. At three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat, something happened. But at four times a week, watch this, guys, it literally spiked off the charts. Like you would think it would be gradual, right? Like, you know, one time a week's here, two times a week, three times a week, four. No, once it hit four times a week, I mean, that thing just skyrocketed. And I want you to catch this right here, church, because this is so significant. For those who read their Bibles four times a week, the feeling of loneliness drops 30%. Anger issues drops 32%. Bitterness in relationship drops 40%. And when I say relationships, it could be a marriage relationship, relationship with your peers, relationship with your kids, but it drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Viewing pornography drops 59%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. Would anyone agree and say that there's been times in your walk with Christ where you have felt spiritually stagnant? Would you raise your hand? Well, watch this. It says when we read our Bible four times a week, the the research found that that drops, that, that feeling of spiritual stagnation dropped by 60%. Ready? We're going to keep moving because the numbers are climbing. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Come on, guys. I mean, that's mind-blowing. That means almost 7 out of 10 people who ordinarily would have had sex... But now they've spent four, they've read the Bible four times a week. That has dropped by 68%. 
Gambling drops 74%. Bet some of y'all like those odds. Sorry, that's a bad joke. I, 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 could, I couldn't, couldn't help it. It was, it was right there. Um, yeah, exactly. Actually, you know what they found? They found that for any addiction that you have, any addiction whatsoever, they found that for the person who reads their Bible at least four times a week, that addiction would drop by 61%. But then on the flip side, they found something else. They found that sharing your faith jumps by 200%. Then they found that discipleship jumped 230%. And last, that memorizing scripture jumps up to 407%. Now, yeah, it's cool, huh? Now, why am I sharing all this with you? Because I want you to know that the Word of God has the power to completely transform your life. But watch this, guys. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are spending an adequate amount of time in it for it to do what it's supposed to do. Are you all with me? So can we just ask God right now to prepare our hearts? Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your Word now, God. And Lord, may our heart be found as fertile soil by which the seed of your word can land, Lord. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that you sent it to heal our diseases. We thank you, Lord God, that it's the lamp to our feet. It's the light to our path. And so now, precious Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this place and in our hearts and give us each individually the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the body of Christ. So do your work in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the church says, amen. And can you let this worship team know how much you love and appreciate these guys? Thank you guys so much. Y'all are awesome. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. By the way, uh, can I just let you know, the more that you read the Bible, the more you'll fall in love with its author. I'm just saying, people who love Jesus love his word and vice versa. And so on that note, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 20. We're going to continue in our all-in series. For those of you that are just uh, joining us, we've been going through the book of Acts, and I think this is the 25th installment, so we're almost been an entire half a year on the book of Acts. I've enjoyed it so much, and i got to tell you, Acts chapter 20 is one that will really grab your heart. And... Um, we're not going to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter, but I will let you know that it's kind of broken into two parts. The first half is Luke giving an account of all the various cities that he traveled to, uh, who traveled with them, and then some of the things that took place while they were there. But then the second half is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. And his talk wasn't just any talk, but as we're going to read, it's the last thing that Paul will ever say to them. And Paul knows this, 
And he even tells them that this would be the case. And so why don't we just dive into this incredible chapter. In the first part of Acts chapter 20, we read about Paul calling for the disciples to join him. No doubt Paul knew what was coming and there was a few things that he wanted to say to them. And so Acts chapter 20 and verse 1 says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Now let's just break this down for just a moment. This chapter starts by saying, after the uproar had ceased. I found something that was really interesting when I was doing a word study on this. The word uproar means noise. And you'll see that it's used several other times throughout the book of Acts, and it's actually used in a couple different places in the gospel. And I highlight this because I want us to consider what noise exists in our life and the purpose for which it exists. Because the noise is a tool that Satan often uses in order to tempt us. Like, for example, one, one example of noise, uh, like what we're talking about, might be those voices that you hear both internally and externally that says that you're not enough, that you don't have what it takes, that you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not the right gender or the right race. But here's what I want you to catch. Both in Scripture and throughout history, God has repeatedly chosen those who on the surface appear unlikely and unqualified to accomplish his plans and purposes on the earth. But watch this, many of them never carry out that purpose because they listen to the noise around them, telling them what they can or what they cannot do. But friend, if God has called you, can I just tell you, there's not a limitation on this earth that can prevent God's purpose from being carried out through your life. You've but to make sure that you do not allow that noise to dissuade you, to distract you, or to discourage you. Are you with me? But then there's other types of noise that we will encounter as followers of Jesus. You see, we live in a world that often promotes values that are contrary to those of Christ. And often we hear the overwhelming noise of the world that opposes our values. And guys, this is where we've got to rely upon the strength and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and resist that noise. It's where we must arm ourselves with the truth of God's word and remain steadfast in our faith. Church, can I just encourage you with something? The noise of the world may be loud, but it's temporary. Did you catch that? The noise of this world may be loud, but it's temporary. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, he says, In this world, you will have trouble. There's going to be all kinds of noise that's going to be yelling your way about who you are, who you aren't. He says, but take heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dissuaded. I have overcome the world. And I feel like someone here may need to hear this right now because when you're facing something difficult 
and the weight of the world is weighing on you, there can be this overwhelming feeling that can come upon you as if there's no way out. Like this is the way that it's always going to be. Because I'm here to tell you that we serve a miracle working God. He is a way maker. He makes a way when there seems to be no way. Don't allow the noise of this world to tell you the lie that God is not able. Like refuse to listen to the noise. Refuse to believe the noise that says your children's always going to be this way. Refuse to believe the noise that says God has overlooked you. Refuse to believe the noise that says that nothing good will ever come your way. No, it's just that he's refining you. He's preparing you. He's allowing you to go through this trial in order that you would come out of it stronger, wiser, knowing who you are in him so that you would be complete, equipped for every good work that he's called you to. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not, because only God is perfect. But you can be complete. You see, being complete means that you're lacking nothing. It's what James said would take place when we persevere, when we don't give up. He said, let perseverance finish its work. Some translations say, let patience finish its work. It's work. Man, patience, that's that tough thing that we all struggle with, right? I've shared this with you many times before, but did you know the most asked question in the Bible is how long, oh Lord? I mean, like, there's not a person in this room that has not had to deal with patience. Like, you can't make it past two years old and you've had to deal with patience, right? And if all the babies were here, they'd say amen, okay? <laughs> but let perseverance, let patience Finish its work so that you may be, watch this, mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, spiritual maturity involves a process of growth and development. And I mention this because oftentimes people say, well, why hasn't God opened that door for me yet that he's called me to? And many times the answer lies in this. It's because he's still developing you. You guys understand that like in life, there's an incubation period for everything. That's why you don't go and like date someone and marry them the very next day. Hello? That's why someone doesn't get pregnant and pop out a baby next week. It would be unhealthy. There's an incubation period. Are y'all following me? And so for the calling and the purpose of God over your life, there is an incubation period. A time to where God is doing this development within you so that whenever you give birth to that dream and that purpose, it will be healthy. But guys, catch this just in case you didn't realize this. Write this down. Preparation is not lost time. Because so many times we feel like, well, you know, I'm just in the waiting. But guess what? In that waiting, like God has things that he's going to do through you in the time being. Like God will establish his purposes both in you and through you during the time of preparation. Now let's go back to our story here in Acts chapter 20 verse 1. It says an uproar was happening. And um, that uproar, by the way, you can go back and read it in Acts chapter 19. And here finally in Acts 20, it, it ceased. 
And then Paul calls for his disciples to come to him, and he encourages them. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, like I said, in the second half of this chapter. But one thing that we see Paul consistently doing in all of his letters is encouraging others. And the thing I think that is so profound to me is that in almost every instance that we see him encouraging others, it's right on the heels of him facing something difficult. Whether it was him being in the middle of this uproar that just happened, whether it was him being threatened um, with his life, whether it was him being thrown into jail or beaten, Paul didn't allow his difficulties to stop him from encouraging others. I don't know if you've ever watched someone go through something difficult and through their difficulties, they didn't focus on themselves, but rather they focused on the people that were around them. If you've never witnessed people like that, you might want to reconsider the company that you hang with. But I've had my fair share of getting to witness those type of people in just the past year alone. I'm talking about people who went through some tremendous pain and limitations and grieving, yet they didn't complain or talk about all the things that they were going through, but instead, they encouraged those that were around them. They focused on others rather than their own pain, which sounds a whole lot like the Jesus that I served who while hanging on the cross faced a pain that none of us in this room could relate to, but then pleaded to God on our behalf and then says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Look, I don't know about you, but I want to emulate this in my life. I want to be that Christ-like example that focuses on others despite whatever pain I might be experiencing. Anyone with me on that? Many of you already know this, but psychologists, even secular psychologists, will often recommend that those that are facing difficulty to look outside of themselves, to try and to help another person who's also going through something difficult. And the overall consensus from all these doctors and psychologists is that when they do that, those who are giving of themselves, they begin to develop a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And they said that it improves their mood as well as reduces symptoms of depression and anxiety. Well, Jesus said, give and it will be given unto you. Hello? And that verse isn't just talking about money, but anytime we give of ourselves, there's a return on that investment. Verse 7. Let's jump to it. I don't know why. Uh, I love that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write this uh, particular part of the story right here. Um, not sure why, um, but we're, we're going we're gonna to read it because it's here. Um, it's verses 7 through 12, and it says, On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. In other words, preacher Paul was getting a little long-winded, Right? And it goes on to say, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul was talking still longer. Don't you love how the scripture there emphasizes twice that Paul was going just a little long? 
And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken and eaten, he conversed with them a long while. Therefore, I'm sorry, with them a long while. There's a third time that Luke mentions that Paul's going a little long. It says he does it until daybreak and they departed. And so they took the youth away alive and were greatly comforted. Now, I might be the only person who's getting anything out of this particular passage of Scripture right here, so just uh, excuse me if I just take a second and encourage myself because it encourages me to know that even the Apostle Paul had people who were falling asleep in his sermon. (laughs) Come on now. The man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But here's what you need to know. I ain't the Apostle Paul, okay? And so, like, if you fall asleep and fall out of your seat and you die, like, I'll try to raise you up, but I can't give you a guarantee. (laughs) The same thing for you to do is just grab a cup of coffee and try to stay awake during the message, all right? I see that handful of y'all that's snoozing while I'm preaching. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start doing what my professor did when we were in Bible college. We had a few of the students that kept falling asleep, and so he brought in his super soaker 5,000. And he told them that if they fell asleep, they was going to get baptized by it. And one of the students got baptized by it. And as you can imagine, he was upset. I know y'all are thinking that it's me. I saw that look on a few of y'all's face. It actually wasn't me. It could have been me, but it wasn't me. It was a friend of mine, which made it all the better. But I don't know how to transition out of that. Um, don't fall asleep in church. <laughs> okay, there we go. But let's look at verse 17. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to read through the end of the chapter. But before I read this, I want you to just keep in mind what I said earlier. Paul knew that this was going to be his final farewell. And so you know that he was being super intentional about what he was about to say. I mean, just imagine that you were having a conversation with someone that you deeply care about. And then this conversation is going to be your final opportunity to talk to them. Like, you're probably not going to talk about, you know, the weather. You're probably not going to talk about who you think is going to win the World Series. No, you're going to share with them the things that mean the most to your heart. And so I want you to keep that in mind as you're hearing what Paul has to say to some of his disciples here. Acts 20, verse 17 through 39. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await. How would you like it if 
the Holy Spirit called you to do something. And then he said, oh, by the way, um, where you're going, you're going to be beat and imprisoned. Would you still go? Well, Paul continues by saying, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. Guys, do you know that right there? Oh, that stirs my heart. Because isn't that what we're all trying to do is to finish our course and to carry out what God has purposed for us, not so that we can get all these accolades, not so that we can build up a bunch of money and pass it off to our kids, and that's wonderful. I want to bring it before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, I do not account my life as any value as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. A picture of this, if you will. Paul just tells his disciples that he's about to go from city to city where afflictions and imprisonment await him. And now he's telling them that this is going to be the last time that they will ever see his face again. Paul essentially lets them know, guys, I'm... I'm I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And he goes on to say, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's just pause on this verse right here, verse 27. There are several things here that stir my soul when I read this speech that Paul gave to his disciples. And verse 27 is one of them. Paul essentially says he's not responsible for the spiritual state of those that he has preached to. That he did his duty as a messenger of God by proclaiming the gospel and teaching the whole counsel of God. And that now it's up to each individual to respond to that message. And I feel like this right here is a good teaching point for us guys because our job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach the whole counsel of God. But then it's others' responsibility, the responsibility of the hearer to respond to that truth that we have taught them. And I share this as a way of encouragement to those of you who you have shared Christ with others, but you feel like you've not seen the fruit of that investment. Well, first of all, can I just tell you that the story isn't over? Like you may be one of the many who contributed to them coming to know Christ. You know, I'm getting close to my 30th year as being a follower of Jesus. And I have to say that with that has come a lot of benefits. It's also come with a lot of scars. The scars tell stories, right? And some of those stories that I get to hear more and more often these days are stories of things that Jody and I got to be a part of or something that we did or said that contributed to the transformation of someone's life. As a matter of fact, I just got to hear one of those stories just earlier this week from someone who now is in his 30s, but I was his youth pastor when he was in middle school and in high school. Friends, don't grow weary and doing good. 
Don't grow weary in doing good. Every time you show the goodness and the kindness of our Savior, every time you make yourself available, even if it's just making yourself available as a listening ear, every time you share the truth of God with someone who needs it, it matters. And you don't know how much it matters. Oh, I wish I could just stir you to know that in every seed that you've deposited, you don't know how big of a difference it's going to make in that person's life. I remember when we were in Bible college, my wife and I, we got married very young. We were 20 years old, and my wife had worked at a place called Kinder Care. You guys, I think they have those around Jacksonville where they watch children and stuff, and uh, and my wife, who's actually watching, I didn't expect you to be listening to this. I can't talk about you now, babe. But uh, my wife, she, she's an introvert. You wouldn't know that about her, right? How many of you guys are like, what, really? Yeah, because she's a high-functioning introvert. That's what we call her, right? She'll, she'll get up here, and she can turn it on. But, like, if she's out in the grocery store, she's in the gym or something, she ain't talking to anyone, right? She, she's just not. Um, but, but she makes herself you know, talk with others for ministry purposes, and she does it for her Savior, right? And so there was a lady there that she had been witnessing to and been sharing Christ with and had tried to get her to come to church. Well, we had just graduated Bible college, and we were getting ready to move back to Kentucky. And it was our very last Sunday at our church service, and uh, Tanisha uh, had um, finally told Jody, I'm going to come to church with you. And so we brought her to church with us. Well, Tanisha came, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ at that church service. Man, it was so awesome. We were so excited. But we had this, like, you know, thing going on internally because we're like, ah, oh, man, we just saw her, you know, led to the Lord, and we are big believers in discipleship when someone gives their lives to Christ. And so I, I pulled Tanisha. I said, Tanisha, I said, listen. I said, here's what you got to do. Keep going back. This is a good church. I said, keep going back to this church and get as involved as you can, and you'll be okay. Listen to what they say, get involved, and you're going to be good. And she said, okay. Well, we moved on, became youth pastors, went from Kentucky, where we were youth pastors for about four and a half years, went to Alabama for about a year as youth pastors, and then about six years went by. And during this stint, we had uh, about a month where we had a break and we traveled, and we decided we'd go back to our alma mater. We said, let's go back to Columbus. Let's drive up there, and it was a Wednesday night, right, you know, when the real radicals come to church, right? And so we went, and we were sitting there. We're waiting for the service, and then all of a sudden, I hear someone yell my wife's name. I hear, Jody Tomlinson, and I look. I'm thinking, what? And here comes this lady running at my wife, and I'm like, who in the world is that? And she comes over. My wife didn't know either. We're both looking. She throws her arms around her. She pulls back. She said, Jody. She said, I always wished I would, ha I would get this opportunity to be able to share with you. And we looked at her and said, Tanisha. She said, yeah. She said, you know, I came back and did like you told me to do. I kept going to church here, and I got involved, and I became a small group leader. And then I enrolled in their Bible college, and then I graduated from their Bible college, and now I'm on staff here at the church. Church, can I just let you know that every seed that you deposit into someone's life, God will do the watering. You do your job and proclaim the kingdom. Come on, amen, somebody. Write this down. The goal is worth the effort. The goal is worth the effort. May we be like 
Paul and being able to say, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know what that means, by the way, when it says to not shrink? You know ways that we can shrink back? I don't feel it today, so we shrink back. I'm too busy today, so we shrink back. I don't know if I know the right thing to say, so we shrink back. And the enemy would love to get us to shrink back. But may we be able to say, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Come on, let's keep reading. Verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you. To God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Pause here for just a second. I know that Paul is specifically addressing pastors right here, the elders. But I think that there's a lesson for every church leader, for every parent, for every business owner. And that is this. Pay careful attention to that which God has appointed you over. I'm talking about being a good steward over what God has placed under your care. Because watch this, the devil isn't just after our churches, but he's also after our marriages. He's after our children. He would love to cause every Christian business owner's business to fail. Why? Because he's a thief. And his mission is to come and to steal, kill, and destroy. And so that means that we've got to be wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves, as Jesus said to be, which means that we are to be discerning while at the same time innocent in how we handle people. And I know that no one wants to hear that there may be wolves that's going to come in and do damage, but keep something in mind here, church. This was part of Paul's farewell speech. I mean, clearly, this was something of utmost importance, or Paul wouldn't be talking about it. And so I have no problem teaching you the very thing that Paul said to his disciples, because watch this. The devil, he isn't going to give Destiny Church a pass. Are you hearing me? I mean, as we continue to advance the kingdom of God, you better believe that the devil is going to try and stop our advance. You say, well, then, pastor, then, then what should we do? Well, we do the things that God has called us to do. We pray. We spend time in his word, hopefully four times a week. <laughs> we trust and we obey him. We stay united as believers. We encourage one another. We give to those who have need. We show honor to one another. We keep our lives submitted unto God. We resist the devil, and then he will and must flee. 
Guys, this is how we fight our battles. Because when we do, then the battle becomes the Lord's. Let's keep reading verse 33. It says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities, to those who were with me. And all the things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, how many of you know that God has called us to be hard workers? I'm just saying, he's called us to be hard workers. We got too many people that are just spiritually lazy in the body of Christ. And it's time that we put our hands in the plow, church. He said, and all these things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let's just stop here for a second. As you're about to read, this was the very last line, the last thing that Paul says to them. And what's the last thing that he says? He says, guys, be a giver. Don't just be on the receiving end of things, but rather give. And he reiterates the word of Jesus by saying that there is a greater blessing to those who give. Paul ends his speech by saying, I want you guys to be blessed, and you will be blessed as you give. Now, in case you're not able to, to catch why this is so important, let me just break it down in the words of the great missionary Amy Carmichael. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Come on, how many of y'all believe that that is true? One of the things that I hope Destiny Church is known for is that we're a giving church. And watch this. You know what makes for a giving church? It's whenever we all give. Not just a handful. And by, again, guys, I'm talking about our time, our energy, yes, and our resources, our finances. But it's all those things. Because I know that some people say, well, man, I write my check. But, but, but they never give of their time. They never give of their energy. And we have a beautiful example. I'm not going to go to it right now, but you want to know what that's to look like. I mean, look at the Good Samaritan who gave of his time, who gave of his energy, who gave of his resources, ooh, who also gave of his comfort. Ouch. Most preachers will leave that third one out in America. We don't want to give up of our comfort. But, guys, that's what it means to be a giver. You know, whenever I titled this uh, sermon series, I didn't come up with it just for a catchy um, phrase but really, it was a call and a, a mandate. And that call and that mandate is presented before you right now one more time. And that is to be all in. To be all in in every area of your life. I'm talking about us saying to God, God, everything that I have is yours. Use it for your glory. If it's my time, use it for your glory. If it's my skills, use it for your glory. If it's my resources, God, use it for your glory. And watch this. If we'll all land on the same page together, there's not a devil in hell that can stop the purpose of God for this church or for your life. Amen? Let's read the last paragraph, verse 36. And it says, and whenever he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. 
and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Wow. What a story. Well, I've got news for you. The story of God isn't over. You and I have a part to play. You and I have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. We have been given a call with a holy calling, empowered by a Holy Spirit, destined to carry out His plans and purposes. I've not shared this with you in a while, but the reason God gave us the name Destiny Church lies within the meaning. Because the word destiny means to be set apart for a purpose. And I want you to know that you are a people of destiny. You have been set apart for a holy purpose. Psalm 138 and verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Some of you need to take that scripture right there, Psalm 138 and verse 8, and you need to go, you need to put that on your refrigerator. If you're into tattoos, tattoo it on you. I'm going to get some slack from that. That's okay. But do whatever you got to do if it's the Word of God. Are you hearing me? Like, get it right there in front of you. Like, print it out, put it right there on your dash. Because this is what you need to remind yourself of every day. The Lord. Oh, it doesn't require your abilities. It doesn't require you pulling yourself up by your bootstrap. It says, the Lord will fulfill. Not that he's out there thinking, yeah, I might use him. I might use her, I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, she didn't drink last week. So, you know, maybe I might use her. No, 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 no. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Come on, can someone say amen to that? If you believe that, I want you to stand to your feet with me, if you would. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word will do its bidding in our lives. You know, I want to pray over you guys. And then after that, I'm going to have the team kind of just lead us out in a time of worship before we close our time together. And so uh, would you guys just join me in prayer, if you would? And then I just want us to just, just worship just for a moment. There's just a precious atmosphere right now. God's presence is already in the room. Let's pray. Join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness and your steadfast love towards us. I thank you, God, for your word. I pray that each person would be stirred to spend more and more time in it. May what we learn today about those who read their Bible at least four times a week, may that motivate us to see a change both in us and through us. God, please cause us to have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And may the noise of the world be drowned out by the power of your word. And Lord, we ask that you would pour your love upon us in such a way that we would spread it to those around us. Use us to bring encouragement to those who need it. 
Use us to proclaim the gospel and to teach the whole counsel of your word. And last, Father, I pray that a spirit of generosity would come upon us, that we would be seen as as givers, not takers. May we serve those around us, Lord, just as you serve. And through it, may it point others to you. So continue the work that you've begun, we ask. For it's in your precious son's name that we pray. The name of Jesus. And all the church says, amen. Come on, let's worship.